वेलकम टू आर पॉडकास्ट सीरीज ऑन द मुंबई ब्लास्ट्स ऑफ 1993। इन दिस एपिसोड वी विल एक्सप्लोर द सिचुएशन दैट प्रिवेल्ड इन मुंबई बिफोर द ट्वेल्थ ऑफ मार्च 1993। बट बिफोर वी डाइव इनटू दैट लेट्स टेक अ लुक एट द नेशनल सिनारियो ऑफ अस्ट इंडिया इन 1992 टू 1993। A group of 9 archaeologists excavated an archaeology site in Ayodhya from 1975 to 1979 and found evidence of Ram's temple. The project was inaugurated by the then Union Education Minister Shri S Nurul Hasan on 31st March 1975 and was christened the Archaeology of Ramayana Sites. The inaugural event for the project was presided over by the then Chief Minister of Uttar Pradesh Shri Hemwati Nandan Bahuguna. The project research sites included Ayodhya, the capital of Rama, Shringavirpur where Rama had crossed the river Ganga on his journey southwards. Bharadwaj Ashram and Chitrakoot where Prabhu Rama had halted during his journey, Bithur, the place of Valmiki, Parihar where Sita was abandoned and so on. A nine-member team was undertaking this excavation, out of whom five were from Jeevaji University and three from the ASI. One member, Hem Raj, represented the Department of Archaeology of the UP government. Besides this, twelve students of the School of Archaeology were also a part of the exercise. The only Muslim face in the entire project. was Mr Kate K Muhammad a student who later on became the regional director for the northern region in ASA Mr Muhammad recollects about the Ayodhya excavations saying main do bar ko khudai hua hai to ek to khair to professor lal sahab ke under mein hua tha 77 677 mein jab excavation ke liye gaya to excavation karne ke pehle hum log exploration kar lete aas paas ka area bahar se ja ke dekhenge और फिर ये कोशिश करेंगे कि जो है इसके नीचे कुछ हो सकता है या नहीं हो सकता है उस ज़माने में ये टेक्नोलॉजी इतना डेवलप नहीं हुआ था ग्राउंड पेनट्रेटिंग रेडार सिस्टम आजकल जीपीआर सिस्टम है लेकिन उस ज़माने में नहीं था तो हम लोग जो ना देख लेते हैं कि और जो ना पढ़ के जाते हैं एंड देन कॉरलेट करने के लिए कोशिश करते थे तो उसी हिसाब से हम लोग भी मस्जिद के अंदर चले गया तो अंदर जब जाके देखा तो ये मस्जिद है उस मस्जिद का जो पिलर्स जितने भी है वो सब जन्म मंदिर का पिलर्स थे तो आपका सवाल होगा कि ये आप कैसे करेंगे कि ये मंदिर का पिलर है ये मस्जिद का पिलर है प्रिसाइसली वी आर बीइंग ट्रेन फॉर दैट हम लोगों को अगर दिखा दिया कोई भी चीज़ तो हम जो है ना विदाउट एनी काइंड ऑफ साइंटिफिक टेस्टिंग के बगैर भी हम लोग ये बता पाएंगे ये बारहवीं शताब्दी का है या ये पंद्रहवीं शताब्दी का है ये अकबर के ज़माने का है तो उसको हम लोग कहते हैं स्टाइलिस्टिक डेटिंग कहते हैं तो जब अंदर जाके देखा तो एलेवेंथ एंड ट्वेल्थ सेंचुरी का जो मंदिर का जो पिलर्स थे उसी को मस्जिद में रीयूज किया ट्वेल्व पिलर्स थे उसके बाद जो ना डॉक्टर मणि साहब जो डॉक्टर बी आर मणि ये हुआ था टू में दैट वॉज द मोस्ट इम्पोर्टेंट अलाहाबाद कोर्ट ने जो ऑर्डर दिया था On that basis, the second excavation was carried out. उन्होंने बहुत excavation किया अच्छा उनको जो है उसके नब्बे से ज़्यादा जो है पिलर बेसिस मिले प्रोफेसर डॉक्टर बी आर मणि के एक्सकेवेशन में और मोर देन टू हंड्रेड एंड सिक्सटीन टेराकोटा आइडल्स मिले 
जो मंदिरों से कनेक्टेड थे प्लस जो है ना जो मंदिर में जो प्रणाला जो मिलेगा आई मीन प्रणाला वो है कि जो डेली अभिषेक करना पड़ता दैट वुड बी अवेलेबल ओनली इन टेम्पल्स कहीं और जो ना आपको जो ना ये नहीं होगा तो मगर प्रणाला मिला एंड देन ए नंबर ऑफ टेराकोटा आइडल्स जो है ना मंदिर से कनेक्टेड है वो सारी चीजें मिली एंड द मोस्ट इंपॉर्टेंट अनदर इंस्क्रिप्शन इन ट्वेंटी वर्सेस उसमें ये कहते हैं दिस टेम्पल इज डेडिकेटेड टू दैट विष्णु हु हैज किल्ड टेन हेडेड पर्सन स्टाइलिस्टिक जो है उसी तरीके से पैलियोग्राफिकली जो ना आप जो ना इसको एक एक स्क्रिप्ट को आइडेंटिफाई कर सकते हैं डेटिंग कर सकते हैं उसमें एक चीज और कहा है कि जिन्होंने बाली को मारा तो बाली को किसने मारा भगवान भगवान राम ने सो एंड दैट इंस्क्रिप्शन इज ऑल्सो देर इसमें तो पूरे के पूरा फुल प्रूफ था Led by renowned archaeologist Mr B B Lal the group undertook a thorough exploration while professor Lal was the first who wrote about the archaeological evidence of Rama temple below Babri mosque in one of his publications it was Muhammad who brought out this fact in national media with his article in Indian Express on 15th December 1990 in his book published in 2018 Mr K K Muhammad writes that his statement about there being a temple below the Babri mosque published in Indian Express on 15th December 1990 fell like the second bombshell on the arguments of alleged and JNU historians it unleashed a political storm and completely silenced the marxists as they could not challenge the archaeological findings His seniors threatened him with suspension from service as government servants in those days were not supposed to go in public with views on such a sensitive issue. He was however let off later with a transfer from Madras to Goa. The second excavation was undertaken in 2003 under the leadership of another renowned archaeologist Mr B R Mani who conclusively proved the existence of a temple at the place of Babri Mosque. The ASI findings brought out that a mosque was built where a non-Islamic structure had previously existed. In the Hindu faith and culture, the city of Ayodhya is believed to be the birthplace of Rama. In the 16th century, a Mughal general Mir Baqi built the Babri Masjid at a site that was identified by Hindus as Ram Janmabhoomi or the birthplace of Rama. The Babri Masjid became a subject of lengthy socio-political disputes and got targeted when a political rally turned violent in 1992. The Vishwa Hindu Parishad began its campaign for the construction of a temple at the disputed site. Several rallies and marches were held as part of this movement including the Ram Rath Yatra led by Mr LK Advani. The movement was bolstered by the decision of a district judge who ruled in 1986 that gates would be reopened and Hindus permitted to worship Ramlalla Virajma. The decision was endorsed by then Prime Minister Mr Rajiv Gandhi of the Indian National Congress who sought to regain the people's support he had lost over the Shah Bano controversy. In 1989, 
Congress lost the general election and BJP's strength in parliament grew from two members to 88, making its support crucial for the new government of Shri V.P. Singh. In September 1990, BJP leader L.K. Advani began a Rat Yatra across North India to Ayodhya to seek public support for a proposed temple and also to unite Hindu voters. Mr. Advani was arrested by the Bihar government before he could reach Ayodhya. Despite this, a large body of Sangh Parivar supporters reached Ayodhya and attempted to gain control. This resulted in a pitched battle with the paramilitary forces, ending with the death of several rioters. The BJP withdrew its support to V.P. Singh necessitating fresh elections. BJP increased its tally in the parliament and also won a majority in the UP State Assembly. On the 6th of December 1992, the Vishwa Hindu Parishad and BJP organized a rally at the Babri Masjid site involving 15 lakh devotees. During the first few hours, the crowd grew restless and began raising slogans. A police cordon had been placed around the structure. However, around noon, a young man managed to slip past the police cordon and climb onto the disputed structure brandishing a saffron flag. This was seen as a signal by the mob who then stormed the place. The police cordon vastly outnumbered and unprepared for this size of an attack fled. The mobsters set upon the structure with axes, hammers and grappling hooks and within a few hours, the entire structure made from mud and chalk was level. A subsequent inquiry into the incident by Honorable Justice M. S. Librahan found 68 people responsible for it. Justice Librahan wrote that bureaucrats and police officers stayed silent during the mosque's demolition at Ayodhya. In his book published in March 2005, the former intelligence bureau head Malay Krishnadhar claimed that the Babri demolition was planned for 10 months and criticized how it was handled by then Prime Minister P. V. Narsimhara. The author also claimed that there was a silent agreement that Ayodhya offered a unique opportunity to take the Hindutva wave to the peak for deriving political benefits from the ruling and opposition stakeholders alike. However, how much of his claim was a fact remains a mystery awaiting confirmation to this day. The destruction sparked Muslim outrage all over India, provoking intercommunal rioting in which Hindus and Muslims attacked one another, burning and looting homes, shops and places of worship. Several leaders were taken into custody and VHP was briefly banned by the government. Despite this, the ensuing riots spread to cities like Mumbai, Surat, Ahmedabad, Kanpur, Delhi, Bhopal and several others resulting in over 2,000 deaths. Retaliatory violence against Hindus occurred in Pakistan and Bangladesh as well. The riots in Mumbai spurted into spells in December 1992 and January 1993 resulting in the death of around 900 people and property damage of around 9,000 crores. The Ayodhya demolitions and ensuing riots 
were suspected to be major factors behind the 1993 terror bombings and many successive attacks in the coming decade. Jihadi groups including the Indian Mujahideen cited Babri demolitions and took shields as a reason for terrorist aspirations and cowardly actions. Situation in Mumbai as Masjid demolition happened. In today's podcast, we will discuss the situation in Mumbai after the Babri Masjid demolition in 1992. We will provide insights into that time and put things into perspective. It is important to note that the two events cannot be seen as a direct cause and effect relationship as other independent developments made Mumbai volatile. At that time, Sharad Pawar was the Chief Minister of Maharashtra until June 1991, when he moved to the Narsimha Rao Cabinet as the Defence Minister. Mr. Pawar wanted a trusted successor in Maharashtra and Sosh. Sudhakar Rao Naik was made the CM. In 1992, former Deputy Municipal Commissioner G.R. Khairnar started demolishing illegal structures, many of which belonged to the underworld, in Muslim-dominated areas of South Mumbai. Such demolitions were unheard of until then, but CM Sudhakar Rao Naik had his mind over such mushrooming in the state capital. Around the same time, Mumbai police took action against criminals, some of whom were Muslims. After the 6th of December 1992, Muslims became angry over another demolition, Babri Masjid. This offered an opportunity for pent-up anger to surface and disturb harmony and peace in Mumbai. Two phases of communal violence escalated following the destruction of Babri Masjid. For five days in December 1992 and 15 days in January 1993, Mumbai suburbs were rocked by violence of unprecedented magnitude and ferocity. It seemed as though forces of evil were let loose destroying all human values and protocols of civilized behavior. Neighbors killed neighbors, houses were ransacked, looted, and burned all in the name of religion as if to vindicate painfully Karl Marx's cynical observation, religion is the opium of the people. Those 15 days saw people on the streets opiate beyond the call of right and wrong. Protests against demolishing the disputed structure at Ayodhya led to further unrest in Mumbai. Those who were affected by the demolition of illegal structures in Mumbai added fuel to the fire and later on, even criminal elements got involved. When faced with an aggressive and violent mob during riot control, the police tend to fire at some point. The normal sequence of lati charge, tear gas, and then resorting to fire is not always followed. Since the mobs comprised Muslims, the casualties were largely of the Muslim population. The violence of December 1992 involved the police and Muslims. Headlines and newspaper stories of that time read, Two constables in Devnar jurisdiction were killed with choppers and swords by rampaging Muslim mobs. One constable done to death in Byakula jurisdiction. On December the 7th, three police personnel were killed and 216 got injured.
Some protests were violent. In this context, the issue was when faced with violent protesters who were damaging public property, should the police be a passive bystander and run for their lives or take an appropriate action? The demolition at Ayodhya appears to have caught the state administration and the police machinery totally unaware. The intelligence input neither indicated nor led to an assessment that there could be damage to the existing structure. Police officers who gave evidence before the Commission of Inquiry and the then Chief Minister of Maharashtra. Sudhakar Rao Naik admitted that the Babri demolition was an unexpected contingency. Prior to 6th of December 1992, both the Safran groups and Muslim organizations were highly active in promoting their views on the Ayodhya temple construction issue through meetings, Chok Sabhas, and Ghanta Nad programs. While the Safran groups advocated for the construction of the temple, the Muslim organizations such as Simi and Bombay Muslim Action Committee opposed it and called for the disputed structure to remain untouched. The speeches made by both sides during this period were highly charged and likely to incite communal passions. These activities led to an undercurrent of communal tension, the implications of which were not fully realized by the administration, police and state machinery. Volunteers from Mumbai joined the Karseva and Ram Paduka processions were held in different parts of the city. The Rat Yatra further added to the communal tension and the demolition of unauthorized structures by the BMC exacerbated the situation. Although it cannot be conclusively proven that the demolitions were directed solely against Muslims, the fact that those affected were mostly Muslims provided an opportunity for criminal elements within the community to propagate a narrative of religious desecration by the BMC authorities. The ongoing actions against the criminals, such as the lessening of opportunities for crime and choking of finances, became an aggravating factor for some Muslims in the underworld who were also affected by the demolition drive. Some extremists and fundamentalists used this opportunity to spread propaganda that their religious interests were at stake and that Muslims were being systematically attacked. This call in the name of religion found a ready response among Muslim youth and the explosive mixture was ready to be ignited on the streets of Mumbai. On the 6th of December 1992, Trouble had already been brewing in the city before the demolition of the Babri Masjid. The chronology of nefarious activity on that fateful day commenced at around midnight, where about 155 people gathered near the Ambedkar Garden at Cherni Road. By midday, meetings were held by Kar Sevaks and activists at different places in the city. The demolition at Ayodhya occurred around 12.30 p.m. and got wide publicity in the electronic media, particularly BBC News. Repeated media coverage of the footage of the previous Karseva, where some misguided Karsevaks were seen dancing on the dome, as well as the latest video shots showing the actual demolition, 
caused deep frustration and anger in the Muslim community. An angry crowd was reported near Elphinstone Bridge in Bhoiwada, which was followed up with a cycle rally of 200 to 300 persons in Dharavi at 4 p.m. The rally passed through communally sensitive, Muslim-predominant areas and terminated at Kala Killa, where a meeting was addressed by their leaders. Irresponsible acts of celebration and gloating over the demolition heightened the anguished ire among Muslims. The situation was dealt with a stern hand, which turned the protests into violent demonstrations during which the first targets of the anger were the municipal ones and the constabulary, both being a visible signs of the establishment. The police used force and dispersed the crowd successfully. However, attempted arson by an irate mob was reported near Mandavi Telephone Exchange at 11.30 in the late evening. Stone pelting and soda water bottle throwing were reported in Bhendi Bazar and Momin Masjid at Muhammad Ali Road. Firing and stone throwing incidents were also reported in Dongari. The flames caught on in several parts of the city and the whole of Bombay was burning from the 7th of December. 7th of December 1992 to 12th of December 1992. From the 7th of December to the 12th of December 1992, Mumbai witnessed a violent communal riot between Hindus and Muslims. The ground situation saw a qualitative transformation as large mobs of Muslims took to the streets with weapons of offense mounting violent attacks on the police in Muslim-dominated areas like Bhendi Bazaar. The situation was aggravated by the misguided, irresponsible and radicalized youth in mostly Muslim-dominated or mixed localities. The protests quickly degenerated into a full-scale communal riot, with 11 temples damaged, demolished or set on fire in different jurisdictions. The retaliation resulted in mosques and madrasas being damaged as well. Best buses in the central bus depot and bus stops became an easy target for the mobs and were brutally damaged or set on fire. The police found themselves stretched thin, unwilling to take help from the army for operational duties. Army columns were used only for flag marches, which had little impact on the now-hardened and emboldened rioters. Even the imposition of a curfew from the 7th of December did not deter the clashing mobs, as police intervention resorted to firing on 72 occasion, killing 92 miscreants and injuring 131 others. The police recovered a large number of weapons like iron rods, sickles, choppers, knives and soda water bottles, indicating that there was a malicious intent and detailed preparation to fan communal riots. On the 8th of December 1992, communal rioting and violence erupted in Mumbai, spreading to 33 different areas. The clashes between mobs and police, as well as inter-community rioting, escalated rapidly. There were stabbing attacks and arson at places of worship, resulting in the police having to use force in 43 instances, which led to the death of 55 individuals involved in the riots.
The situation improved somewhat by the 9th of December, with fewer instances of mob violence, stabbing, arson, and rioting. However, there were still attacks on temples and mosques, with tensions remaining high. The police had to use force in 28 instances to control the situation. Although the situation seemed to have calmed down by the 12th of December, there was a simmering discontent and seething anger among Muslims due to the large number of casualties resulting from police firings during the riots. Despite standing instructions to fire only below the waist, there were instances where victims sustained injuries above the waist, leading to death. Minor incidents continued to occur after the active phase of the riots ended, with a sudden increase in attendance at Friday namaz being interpreted by Hindus as an ominous sign. Hindus responded with protests, which added to the communal tensions that were already high. The last week of December 1992 and the first week of January 1993 saw a series of stabbing incidents, with both Hindus and Muslims being victims. Most of the incidents took place in Muslim-dominated areas of South Bombay, and the killers were not identified in several cases. The stabbings were carried out with professional accuracy, and intended to cause a communal frenzy among communities. On the 1st of January 1993, an article in Samna highlighted the stabbings and emphasized the right of self-defense by the Hindu community. On the 4th of January, a mob led by Safran activists took a morcha to the Jogeshwari police station, complaining about the lack of security for Hindus, and attacked Chacha Nagar Masjid in the vicinity. These incidents led to a tremendous amount of tension and unrest in Mumbai. In January 1993, Mumbai witnessed a surge of violence and riots that lasted for two weeks. The unrest began with a series of stabbing incidents in isolated lanes, resulting in 18 cases of stabbing and the death of four individuals. Soon after, Mobs of Hindus and Muslims engaged in violent clashes that spread throughout the city, resulting in further deaths and injuries. The situation escalated rapidly, with mobs attacking each other and the police when they intervened. Roadblocks were set up to prevent police and fire brigades from reaching the sites of incidents for rendering assistance. In one particularly gruesome incident, a chal popularly known as Radhabai chal was set on fire, resulting in the death of six individuals. The attackers were reported to have shouted Allahu Akbar before fleeing the scene. The aftermath of the riots had a lasting impact on the community. Almost all the Hindu families fled the Radhabai chal locality, leaving only a few families behind. The incident dented the trust that locals claimed had existed for years. Even a quarter of a century later, the people of Behrampada and Radhabai Chantil feel the impact of the riots and miss a heartbeat whenever any communal flare-up takes place in any part of the country. In total, 
66 cases of stabbing were reported from different jurisdictions, resulting in the death of 11 Hindus, 15 Muslims, and two others, and causing injuries to several. The riots spread to 31 police stations, resulting in 97 cases of mob violence, 73 cases of arson, and a significant erosion of police authority. The situation was so dire that 26 army columns were deployed for flag marches and the government issued instructions that the army personnel may open fire if required to quell the violence. The 1993 Mumbai riots remain a dark chapter in the city's history, highlighting the fragility of communal harmony and the devastating consequences of violence and hate. That's a wrap for today's episode. In the next installment, we will dive into the underworld's emergence and prevalence in Mumbai's socio-political landscape. We will explore the rise of notorious gangster Dawood Ibrahim and his infamous D Company, as well as their connections with Pakistan's ISI and their involvement in funding and carrying out the devastating 1993 terror attacks. Make sure to tune in.